Hey Chris, I got an episode idea for us. Oh hey Rodrigo, what is it? It's an unsolved case. Edgar Leonardo, found dead in 2003. I don't know. Unsolved cases are a pain to research. I like to tell complete stories, so there is a satisfying conclusion to the show. Yeah, but don't you want us to be a real true crime podcast that cracks unsolved mysteries? <sighs> that hurt. I see what you did there. Okay, let's get started. Edgar Leonardo died in 2003 on what seemed to be a normal night. As a 36-year-old queer Filipino man, he spent his Saturday night having dinner with his family. Afterwards, he went out to a local gay bar, bringing someone home with him. He didn't show up for work the following week. A coworker checked up on him after a few days, only to discover his body inside his West End apartment. Edgar was murdered. But why? And by who? It's been over 18 years, and his case is still unsolved. Police believed a bad hookup killed him, but rumors suggest differently. It's time for another dreadful story of Vancouver's dark history. This is The Unsolved Murder of Edgar Leonardo. Vancouver Dreadfuls is a podcast about the dark, odd, and horrifying criminal history of Vancouver. Listener discretion is advised. Gruesome content detailed ahead. This is Vancouver Dreadfuls. Before we get into this dreadful, just a special disclaimer for this episode. This is an unsolved case. I'm not a detective or investigative reporter. I'm a storyteller who played Clue once or twice. I'm not a professional by any means. Officially, little about the investigation is known. Investigators kept their findings close to their chest. My primary source of information was a Vancouver Sun article from 2018. Some of the information I'll be providing today are rumors, things that I've found on the internet. These aren't truths or facts, just part of the rumor mill. Vancouver Driftful's goal with this podcast is to share this story, provoke action, and hopefully bring closure to those close to Edgar Leonardo. If you know anything about the case, please call the RCMP. Edgar Leonardo was born on May 30th, 1967 in the Philippines. He emigrated to Canada with his parents in 1994, joining his brother and sister-in-law who were living in Canada. Growing up, Edgar wanted to be a doctor, but because of the high tuition, his family couldn't afford it. When he arrived in Canada, he got a job at a call center and then later worked for Air Canada. Coworkers described Edgar as a responsible, dependable, hardworking, and a positive joy to be around. He often took advantage of Air Canada's traveling perks. Edgar was gay. While he didn't keep it a secret, he only informed his family of his sexuality three years before his death. He kept the details about his social life away from his family, which means they didn't know about Iggy. If Edgar was the mask of normalcy, Iggy was the face behind the masquerade, an alternate name used when he can be and feel himself. Iggy was more confident, outgoing, and adventurous. Anayo as Iggy meant cruising Davy Street to pick up men. He handed business cards that said Iggy on them, along with his phone number and an image of a raging bull from his astrological sign, Taurus. Typical recipients of Iggy's cards were young white men often described as twinks. This is how police believed he died, cruising Davy Street and meeting the wrong person. 
Eggers last night went down like this. August 23rd, 2003. It was a mild summer's night in Vancouver. Edgar had dinner with his family, a weekly ritual. He left around 9 p.m. with plans to go clubbing. The police aren't sure where he went after dinner. He often frequented the now-defunct Venus Club on Main Street and an adult theater called Kitten Theater on Granville. He was also a regular on Davy Street, often visiting coffee shops and businesses. It's suspected Edgar was last seen at the Dufferin, a seedy bar on Seymour and Smythe, a block away from the old Kitten Theater. The bar was known for its drag shows, raunchy crowd, and street workers. Wherever Edgar went, police believe he brought someone back to his West End apartment on Comox Street. This is the person who police suspected killed Edgar. Edgar didn't show up to work the following Monday and Tuesday. A co-worker from Air Canada checked up on Edgar on Wednesday morning. The building manager originally insisted nothing was wrong in Edgar's unit, but after being persistent, they let the co-worker investigate the unit. The apartment was a mess. Mail from the last few days left on the floor, bedroom torn apart. It wasn't what they expected from the clean-cut Edgar who was immaculate of his clothing and appearance at work. His body was found in the bedroom. Cause of death or the state of the body was never shared with the public other than the police saying it was a crime of passion. Little is known about the investigation of Edgar's murder. Police kept most of the details to themselves, asking the coworker who found the body not to share any information as it's related to an active investigation. What we know is the police had difficulties tracking down men found in a roll of undeveloped film in Edgar's camera. They sought 24 men for questioning, but the police could only find 18 of them throughout the years. The other six are nameless John Doe's, everyone who the police talked to had an alibi for the night in question. Investigators chased rumors across Canada, searching for suspects, going to Alberta and Ontario. All they found were dead ends. This was until 2018. After 44 years, the Golden State Killer was arrested in 2018. In the 70s and 80s, he terrorized the Pacific Northwest with his home invasions, raping, robbing, and murdering his victims. It's terrifying. If you don't know the story, a great documentary on it is I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Spoilers, though. The Golden State Killer was caught because of a genetic genealogy. Investigators ran his genetic DNA on websites similar to 23andMe or Ancestry. And based on results, they had a list of suspects. Through a process of elimination, they ended up with their killer, Joseph D'Angelo. The company who assisted with the genetic genealogy investigation was suddenly slammed with inquiries in cases from police agencies all over North America. One of those cases, Edgar Leonardo. The results of the genetic genealogy investigation didn't find Edgar's killer. Instead, they had a picture of who they believed killed Edgar, a young Caucasian male with brown hair and blue eyes, Edgar's type. We'll post the image on our social media. The photo didn't provide police with enough information to locate new suspects. All we have left are rumors and theories. Since 2003, people were left to speculate about his murder. People shared their theories on websites, hoping to come up with potential suspects. Two famous Canadian serial killers were mentioned, 
Bruce MacArthur, and Luca Magnata. First, we'll talk about Bruce MacArthur, because there isn't a strong case for him being Edgar's murderer. But since we'll never talk about him on Vancouver Dreadfuls, I'll entertain the idea. For those who don't know, MacArthur was a serial killer who was active from 2010 to 2017. He was arrested in 2018. MacArthur was a married man in the 80s to early 90s and divorced from his wife in 1997 after coming out as gay. He's described as a bear who was heavily into BDSM and rough sex. In 2010, he would start inviting Middle Eastern Asian men over to his place for consensual sex and strangle them during intercourse. He would take photographs of his victims' bodies in unique positions before dismembering them and hiding their remains in planters at residential properties where he stored his landscaping equipment. People linked Edgar to MacArthur because he fit MacArthur's victim profile, a middle-aged Asian male. MacArthur is an Edgar's killer. There is no timeline for MacArthur being in Vancouver during Edgar's death, and MacArthur didn't fit Edgar's type. MacArthur would have been in his 50s, overweight and balding, almost the exact opposite of a skinny, youthful-looking male. You know who looks like Edgar's type? Luca Magnata. Magnota may be familiar to some of our listeners. A Netflix documentary series called Don't Fuck With Cats was released in 2019. It became popular on the streaming platform. The too long, didn't watch version of Magnata is, in 2012, he murdered Jun Lin, an Asian university student. Magnata recorded the murder in an 11 minute snuff film called One Lunatic, One Nice Pick. The video showed Lin tied up to a bed frame and stabbed repeatedly with an ice pick and kitchen knife. Magnata dismembered the body while performing acts of necrophilia with some of the remains. The movie ends with Magnata using a knife and fork to cut off the victim's flesh to feed a dog. Magnata would mail body parts of Lin all over Canada. One of those packages made its way to Vancouver, False Creek Elementary School to be exact. How does Magnata fit into Edgar's murder? For starters, he was in Vancouver in 2003. At 21 years old, he was working for an adult website appearing in man-on-men films. Rumors of him selling himself could put him at an institution like the Dufferin during 2003, a place Edgar visited. Second, there's the genetic photograph police released in 2018 of who they think could have killed Edgar. Magnata and the image shared similarities, like blue eyes and brown hair. Keep in mind, since the image created by the AI's genetic portrait, things such as weight, plastic surgery, facial hair, and age can't accurately be determined. Last, Magnata was always a disturbed individual, even in 2003. In 2001, he was arrested for major credit card fraud. In 2007, he claimed he was dating Carla Homoka, another high-profile Canadian murderer. Then, in 2010, he released videos of him killing cats. While signs pointed towards Magnata as the killer, the police followed up and determined he wasn't involved. Which leaves us to the third and most unpopular theory. Edgar was killed by someone he knew. I reached out to a few individuals regarding Edgar's case. 
One of them referred me to a friend of a friend type source who claimed to know who killed Edgar. From the brief conversation I had with them, they shared details of the investigation we had already confirmed with additional sources. The big thing they shared was Edgar was being harassed by someone in the union he was in. Edgar, with the help of the individual I was speaking with, wrote a letter to the union documenting a timeline of harassment. The individual claimed this was the motive behind Edgar's murder, and the letter they have written together was found nearby Edgar's body. I pushed for the name of the individual they believe who killed Edgar, but they refused to share it out of fear. I mentioned the killed by a coworker theory to a few of Edgar's old coworkers, and they universally denied it. They went as far as discrediting the individual I spoke with, saying they were mentally unstable. I didn't think 2003 was that long ago. I know other people feel the same because I always hear comments of people going, wait, 2000? Was that 22 years ago? Or something to that effect. Age plays with our memory, so I'm going to refresh it. In 2003, gay marriage wasn't legal in Canada. A few years prior in Vancouver, Aaron Webster was beaten to death in Stanley Park for being gay. The rainbow crosswalk on Davie Street? Nearly a decade still before it was painted to honor pride. The point is, society's treatment of the LGBTQ community was different back then. A lot of them felt unwelcomed outsiders. In 2010, Vancouver was labeled as a hotspot in Canada for hate crimes against the LGBTQ community. There is also a history of RCMP having difficulties working with the LGBTQ community. They did very little to protect the community from the unwanted hate they receive. A great example that still occurs to this day is the preacher that's on Davie Street openly preaching hate speech. The police had trouble locating identities of individuals who appeared in photos with Edgar in his private collection. The time it took for the community to offer information was the reason investigators believe this is still unsolved. I'm not sure if the police fully understood what they were asking the gay community for back then, but I understood why they didn't get the full cooperation. They were asking members of a marginalized community to out individuals who were not opening themselves to authoritative figures they distrust. This is a huge no-no in that community, especially with the social backlash of being gay was a common occurrence in family and work life. The police are also very stuck on the idea Edgar was killed while cruising. Edgar is a frequent cruiser, and I feel he would have had better sixth sense around this. It seems like a simple solution for them. A little known fact is gay-on-gay murder is abnormally violent throughout history. Edgar's death was described as a crime of passion, which means it seemed personal, which is not how I would imagine hookup murders would be, but someone who had a vendetta would be. But to be clear, I'm not an officer, and I'm sure the RCMP did what they could, and what I just said is probably irrelevant and doesn't matter. After all, these are just unqualified thoughts on the situation. I do have one more theory to share, one that does support the crime of passion statement by the police, but doesn't fit the picked up a random guy notion of it. It also starts in New York City. What's not to love about the Big Apple? The food, Broadway, and bright lights make it a tourist destination. For Edgar, it was a brown-haired, blue-eyed fellow who he was enamored with. 
He would often go to New York for his vacation, often meeting the mysterious gentleman for week-long flings. His friends didn't know anything about him, only that he would eventually come to visit Vancouver. Perhaps this is who Edgar rendezvoused with the night he passed away. They had a fight about their long-distance relationship, it got heated, and a mistake was made. The following details of the crime scene are unverified. As mentioned earlier, police shared nothing about the crime scene officially, but we're going to share it as it does fit this theory. A bottle of opened wine and glasses were found near the body. The glasses had Egger's fingerprints, and prints belonging to someone else who's not in the police database. The idea being, someone from New York would never be in the Canadian police database. The co-worker discovered Egger's body covered by a blanket. The act of covering the body could be a sign of remorse. This to me also fits the idea of it being a crime of passion, and possibly the reason why it's been so difficult to find a suspect that makes sense for police. Because the murderer was only visiting Vancouver and was unknown to the community. We usually like to tell a story on this podcast, one that has a beginning, middle, and end. Unfortunately, Edgar's story doesn't have a justified end, one where his family and friends can grieve. If you know anything that could help catch Edgar's murderer, please contact the RCMP. Thank you for listening. Did you enjoy this dreadful? The Vancouver Dreadfuls team needs your support to keep this going, and there are many ways to help out. Send your feedback and comments to vancouverdreadfuls at gmail.com. Follow our social media pages at Vancouver Dreadfuls Facebook group. Follow us on Instagram at Vancouver Dreadfuls, and subscribe to our Spotify and YouTube channels at Vancouver Dreadfuls. Lastly, we're running a Kickstarter for season two. Please check it out if you want more dreadful tales. Today's episode has been hosted by Christopher Glant. Audio recorded and post-produced by Rodrigo Robinet. Social media is managed by Sandra Reaño. Animation and motion graphics by Nathan Moran. And art created by Nixon.